Weekly market update. Volume slide under previous year values as spring approaches. Trucking Freight Futures Atlanta. Attendees ask about volatility, small players, and liquidity. Why Chicago brokers call contract rates paper rates. Could one job be at the heart of Amazon's $600 million decision to yank XPO's business? And Walmart earnings give Amazon a run for its money. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we discuss all these issues and more on this week's episode of What the Truck. Great to be here with you, JP, on episode fifty-five. Yeah, it's weird, man. It's it was it was crazy reading those headlines. I've been I feel like I've been gone forever. Yeah, we missed you. I think what two in a row, which yeah. was unusual after such a long stretch. You were like Iron Man. <laughs> Well, you know, let's 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 get the streak restarted. Yeah, and so this is the very first time in, in of any episodes, ladies and gentlemen, that I am not having a beer at the what, beginning. What's what's wrong? I what? It, that's a good question. I think we just kind of ran out of time, and here we are. So uh, wow. if if uh, you know, I'm sorry to disappoint you right out of the gate. Yeah, um, this is. I mean, this this episode's probably. <laughs> let's, let's 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 see how it goes. Let's stay positive. Okay. okay. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, Chad. I'm trying. There's a lot of positive news out there, um, and uh, we are going to tackle them. Redwood Logistics is one of the nation's fastest-growing logistics providers, fueled by industry-leading technology and a passionate team of experts. From multimodal brokerage and dedicated truckload to third-party logistics and TMS consulting, implementation, and integration, Redwood Logistics delivers next-generation solutions for its clients and much more than a truckload. For our weekly market update, which we like to we have we like to have a weekly uh, give you a weekly market playbook uh, every single week. Uh, and, uh, you know, well, we've got some interesting analysis from Sultan of Sonar, Zach Strickland, JP. He is saying that volumes, um, well, I, so I think that the intensity that's building up is we're seeing just the slightest little decrease in volumes and the slightest little increase uptick in, in national uh, tender rejections. But I think the uh, the thing that may be concerning uh, is is that, you know, spring approacheth. Right. Right. And um, this uh, much anticipated softer 2019 market. Could it mean that the uh, you know, what does this mean? What, what? Essentially, it's like once. So, well, especially in sonar, our, you know, um, outbound tender volume index is indexed to March 1st. That's really where it begins. That's so once we go into March, we'll start getting you know, these robust year-over-year comparisons. Um, and right now, the index is trending below the March 1 number for 2018. So we're, we're underperforming uh, Q1 2018. I think everyone kind of knew that. Yeah. Well, what, some, you know, there's some interesting little things going on around the margins of the freight market. I mean, uh, despite uh, soft volumes against admittedly tough comps, you know, for the last, you know, last first quarter in 2018 was was pretty strong. Um, there have been, despite this, you know, soft volumes, there have been some interesting upticks in tender rejections. So, in some places in the country, capacity has started to tighten back up a little bit. I a mean, little bit, and really, 
only over the past like three days. You know, I mean, this is pretty up to the minute analysis. It's up to a national average of eight. Yeah, you know. but there are, there are a bunch of markets um, in the upper Midwest, the mm -hmm. Midwest, going all the way down into, uh, you know, um, Fayetteville, Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas, um, even Montgomery, Alabama, all, all markets that have above 10% tender rejections. And, um, yeah, Little Rock is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Reef for 70% tender yeah, rejection. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that has a lot to do, I think, with uh, the, the, the poultry industry in northwest Arkansas. But um, hmm. um, I think, you know, the, the, two, the two big markets in Michigan's lower peninsula, uh, Grand Rapids and Detroit, are both over 20% tender rejections. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know whether it's just a combination of um, – you know, bad weather that makes uh, drivers more reluctant to go into certain situations um, or whether it's simply the fact that volumes have been fairly robust in, on the West Coast and in, in Southern California. And we've been watching those volumes you know, kind of start gaining momentum or at least holding momentum um, as those tender rejections have continued to go down. You know they haven't fl they haven't found their bottom and started to take back up yeah. like the national average. They've continued to go down, indicating that you know basically the the strong kind of freight volume environment there is slowly attracting more and more trucks. You know because uh, you know it's because because yeah. interjections keep going down, which eventually is going to pull stuff away from the Midwest and other markets. So it might just be you know. It's not that any any one place is particularly tight. It's more just the case that capacity might be a little imbalanced, might not be exactly where it should you know optimally be. Yeah, um, it's interesting. Um, you know, Memphis, which is four hours from about four hours from Little Rock, and it's the twelfth largest uh, market. Um, boy, it's it's gone up. Uh, I think tender rejections tender rejections have gone uh, way up there. Mm -hmm. Lots yeah, of yeah. Mem Memphis is is always a really strong um, head haul market. It's always a lot more right. outbound than inbound. You know, it's the third largest rail hub in the country after Chicago and St. Louis. Um, and, you know, th th that might be part of what, what it go is happening with, with Little Rock as well. Is, is that, right. Is that, you know, if, if, if a lot of um, carriers are moving into Memphis um, to cover that freight, that, that 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 sucks capacity away from other uh, markets in the region. Well, another thing that's apparently discouraging about going into that little rock area uh, is the de average detention time is four hours, JP. Four hours. I mean, you might as well just go to Memphis, you know, <laughs> like, so, uh, yeah. So anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, is the market in balance or out of balance seems to be somewhat in balance. It doesn't seem to be deteriorating, but um, you know, other things I think that we've uh, been am analyzing for our weekly market update is that volumes uh, have started to fall. If you look at them year over year from yes, crazy, super hot 2018, although, you know, for 20, 19, they started off pretty pretty high as yeah, well. Yeah, they did. 
Um, so in some of the larger markets that, um, you know, we analyzed, uh, you know, Atlanta is down 2% year over year, Chicago down 12%, um, Dallas, yeah, Dallas also, um, also is, is down similarly to Atlanta, even though the two aren't really in parallel at all in terms of what they do. Right. Um, so yeah, so, so, you know, I mean, I guess it's, is it telling us what we already know? Well, to some extent. Yeah, well, it's good just to, you know, I think there's still a lot of uncertainty about the economy, still a lot of uncertainty about, um, you know, what the outlook is going to be for transportation and logistics companies. And so, you know, as we start to sort of um, flesh out you know what the what the year is going to look like and as the data keeps coming in we get a better and better picture of where we stand year over year i think you know it's that's you know it's going to be interesting i mean what what's i think is really going to help um us uh sort of you know picture the way this year rolls uh you know rolls out is how strong the, the March you know surge? Yes, is. that's what we are looking toward, and uh, we'll be bringing it to you week after week, just looking at it, um, and uh, you know, giving you the overview. One of the things too, speaking of um, what's happened this week, you know, um, the 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 trucking freight futures uh, roadshow uh, has uh, you know continued to make its rounds. We were in Atlanta. You covered that on Monday. Right now, they literally are. Um, over there at Freight Alley here in Chattanooga. Yep, yep. What, now, now um, what was interesting, um, you know, with with what you observed um, in Atlanta was that you said some of the questions were a little more, um, were, were getting a little more sophisticated. So, like, what, who, what was the general consensus? Who were over there? Who was over there representing um, some of the audience members in Atlanta? And what were some of the kinds of questions that were being asked? Um, there were a combination of shippers, uh, you know, small and medium-sized shippers who were trying to figure out how to protect themselves against transportation costs. Um, there were, and then I would say there were, you know, a, f- a few transportation and transport tech people. And then um, people from financial institutions. Well, one of the questions I recall as well that um, was asked was, um, you know, what what is the when it's launched on March 29th of this year? Um, what is the, um, the what you know? What about the small player, the mid to size, uh, mid to small size player? What, what how, can they participate yeah, in, yeah. in in the right. futures? Right. That, that was one of the questions. It was mm-hmm. interesting. Um, and basically, the answer was like, you know, yes. Like we're working on that. Um, there, because of the way that um, commodities exchanges are regulated, uh, right. The clearing partners, um, the futures clearing merchants, the FCMs, which are essentially banks like you know Goldman Sachs and Citi and Morgan Stanley, people like that. Uh, when you have an account with them and you want to participate in one of these exchanges, they do a lot of due diligence and make sure that you know you that they know what sort of financial situation you have and how much money you can you're you're sort of good for and ha- how much money you can you can. Um, you know, used to, to purchase or sell securities on the exchange. So, uh, so in a nutshell, yes, once, well, so you can consolidate. Well, yeah, some of your, exactly. So, you know, um, in 
we'll look at something like farming, mm-hmm. right? Where you've got a, you know, historically you had a lot of small family-run farms. They were all similarly exposed to the price of wheat. When you plant your your crops in you know February or March or whatever, yeah. you don't know what the price of that commodity is going to be in September, or October. So you, what do you do? Well, you uh, you create co-ops and you you bind it. You you sort of all collaborate together and pool your resources so that you then have enough money to participate in a meaningful way in a commodities exchange. And so that might be one way that um, small and medium-sized shippers participate. Okay. Another way could be if um, they succeed in sort of reconfiguring some of the participation rules that have been um, drafted by nodal exchange such that Companies okay. um, like K ratio, for example, right. can create a, a, essentially a fund, where where it's like it, almost like a mutual fund or a hedge fund, where it's like okay, you bought you know our like this is the hedge fund for you know uh, carriers. So if 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 rate- and, and K ratio, by the way, is um, a firm offering shipper and carrier customers uh, advice. Strategy and uh, and and they can manage freight futures contracts. Yeah, for for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, one of the um, more uh, I mean, another sophisticated question came from um, no surprise, Basco Majors, a transportation equities analyst at Susquehanna. He asked, uh, "Well, how long will it take for liquidity to come in and the spread to get more stable?" And uh, you know, um, yeah, that that was that was an interesting question. the uh, um, <clears throat> um, okay. I think the, the actually the, the first the what what really struck me about the conversation was the very very first question. Um, so a, a woman asked, "What do we think the bid ask spread will be when the exchange opens?" Um, okay, and I was like, "Wow, like the bid ask spread that's that's really interesting." And that's basically essentially what that is is the gap between. So if we're talking about a contract for a certain number of miles, right? Yeah. Um, the bid ask spread is the difference between, you know, the lowest price a seller is willing to accept for a contract and the highest price a buyer is willing to pay. And yep. some, you know, sometimes there's, you know, a gap between that. Um, and especially that's the case when, okay. um, a market is new. There's not a whole lot of participants, not a whole lot of liquidity, not a whole lot of price discovery. Not everyone has been able to, not a whole lot of input into the markets where everyone can agree, kind of come to consensus about what the price should be. Well, and by the way, to add to what you're saying, though, and, and Tom Mallon's answer uh, to to um, Basco Majors was that they expect a handful, we expect a handful of liquidity providers to make markets uh, on day one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So go ahead, but go ahead. So yeah. Sorry. Um, and it's kind of interesting because at first people are pretty cautious. Um, someone who is offering, you know, a price, whether, you know, what, what, again, whether you're a buyer or a seller, mm-hmm. um, you want to be the, t- the psychological tendency is to be conservative at first because you don't want to. If essentially, if your price is p- picked off too quickly, if it's accepted too yes, quickly, yes. that makes you feel like you, 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 you were wrong. Like if someone snaps yep. it up, it's like, oh, well, maybe I was underpriced or overpriced or you know something like that. So, 
there's initially um, an Addison Armstrong, actually, who is there, who is um, yes, he's one of, a new addition, one of our executive directors of markets, uh, formerly of J.P. Morgan. He said that he's seen a lot of these contracts launch in his career, and that typically the bid ask spread is wide at first and then narrows right. again as more information enters the market, more players enter the market. Well, um, that is an interesting, you know, that it's just a, it's, it's, you know, it's the time is coming. It's drawing near to when the freight futures launches. And uh, I believe we are headed to Detroit next week. Okay, well, uh, so JP, you wrote uh, this interesting article, which, um, you know, I think actually might blow a few theories, um, you know, uh, you know, out of the water, but is really Whoa. just kind of informative. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's uh, the why, why, well, not just Chicago brokers, I suppose, but but why you know brokers call yeah. contract rates paper rates. Yeah, this was fun to write because I feel like I kind of got to mm-hmm. go back into like English major mode and be like, <laughs> oh, like what is this like piece of language? You know, paper rates. This this freight broker slang, like. What does it mean? What What are the possible, you know, significances? Well, you kind of did get a little English major on it. Yeah, I used, like I used, the first way that it could be used. And I was like the third for, valence. The, <laughs> but um, but overall, uh, you know, the I think as you were saying, the second option of your three is the most likely. Where um, you know, contract rates don't mean a guarantee that a shipper will find capacity at a certain price, or that a carrier will receive a certain volume at that price. Price. They're paper because they are subject to change by market conditions, you know, only good for a certain period of time. Yeah, and when I was drafting the article, um, I texted one of my buddies who um, runs a freight brokerage in Chicago and asked, right. him, asked him about the, the term. And he said specific, and he called me, he said specifically it's it's a negative term that yep. you use to, to kind of um, apply to contract rates that are no longer holding up in reality. And so for example, yeah. like if for if for example a broker is coming in really aggressively to a shipper or customer and offer them really low rates, like saying, "Hey, I'll move your freight for really cheap." Yeah. Um if the ship the, the shipper might say, "Hey, are these just paper rates?" <laughs> and the broker's like, "No, no, no. Like I honor my commitments, they're not paper." Yeah. You know. uh-huh. But but a lot of, you know, other times um uh, it can work the other way. If if the spot market is already outrunning contract pricing, the um, you know the broker could say, "Hey, you know th- these paper rates, you know, need to come up." Well, what are the the most I think uh, insightful kind of takeaways that um, we we could you know take away from from this article is 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 and we we proved it sort you know with the uh, the DAT van rate uh, index the DAT. Uh, is 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 how inc- this is interesting how incredibly close sort of the the interlocking market pressures are between uh spot uh and what we call it's a misnomer contract yeah, contract rates right and so that's that's really the kind of economic reality behind the slang term like you can mm-hmm. think of it as oh it's just kind of disparaging it's it's paper rates but what it really gets at is the fact that if you're a carrier, you might tell your investors, oh, you know, we're not subject to the spot market. 80% of our business is contract. We're only 20% spot. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. But in reality, 
your revenue per truck per week moves up and down with the spot market. Yeah. Um, and paper rates. Be because in the end, you're going to take the business that's giving you the best the best price, the bre the best you're going. And, and, and if there are better prices out there, you're going to take them. So I suppose. And paper rates really gets at that sort of fuzziness between the contract and spot, the, in, the dynamic interplay where, and then normally it's, it's, you know, it's spot that leads contract. It can pull contract up, it can pull contract down and con, but, but at the beginning, you know, in, in their 2019 outlooks and their Q4 earnings calls, these carriers are saying, oh, you know, we're getting contract rates, you know, 5% increases over the past year. Well, they're not talking about what position in the routing guide they're getting, how much freight yep. they expect. They're not talking about the fact that these are probably going to be renegotiated on a quarterly basis. They're also not talking about the fact that, um, you know, there's a 25 plus cent per mile gap between contract and spot that has to you know, converge at some point. Well, and I suppose it begs the question: Why have contract? Uh, why have contract rates in the first place? Yeah, I mean, and I think we we may know, but you you might want to we we might want to pull that out a little bit. You know, like yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, I think that you know, it speaks to you know, I mean, it it allows for a certain degree of planning. It allows right. for a certain um degree of relationships it's what it's how it's it, first and foremost i think what it is for for shippers is mm. it allows you to see you know it allows you to send out a request for proposals get bids from different carriers judge which ones you think are the you know the optimal ones for a particular lane and then rank them in order so it's basically you have to build your routing guide. yeah so you know, it, it's your first. It's your first five, six, seven, eight picks. You know that you send a load to. And <clears throat> I suppose, by contrast as well, it, it begs a different question: Why aren't contract rates actually contractual? Um, and I, you know, I, and I'm. I don't know. I suppose that to some extent. You know, the obvious answers are that, well, we can't predict, you know, the economy. We don't know how th you don't want to get locked in necessarily yeah. to bad positions. Well, and it's like so the, the way that everyone the way that the carriers get out of a contract commitment, a so-called contract yeah, yeah, commitment, yeah, an agreement or whatever yeah, an, yeah. is, you know, they'll say the, the, the thing that provides all the wiggle room is mm -hmm. that you can say if, if, you, if there's no truck available. No, oh, yeah, then, then well, yeah, it, right? yeah, right. And right. so, you know, if you removed that clause, then the carriers would say, "Well, if you want me to guarantee a truck to be available, you have to guarantee exactly when, you know, these loads need to be picked up and they need to actually be there." And then it's just like, every, and the agreements could go deeper and, and deeper. Just can, and it's so regimented. You could have breach at any given. Yeah, and then it's, but it, and then the breaches end up being this like real petty little stuff, and you end up like fighting over things that don't matter, and it, it, it sort of becomes a net drag on the relationship. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, I think I do. And anyway, whatever the case of what could be, it, it this is the the situation. Uh, that it is that, you know, um, and it, it was an, it's a very interesting article. I think you, you put it in layman's, uh, terms, 
and, and, you know, I think everybody should check it out. And a lot of people, a lot of our viewers are checking it out. It's a good article. Um, well, uh, a couple other things we wanted to cover today before we try to tackle our big deal, little deal. And JP's a little bit out of practice of that. So we'll see how <laughs> that goes. That's a tease. Yeah. Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> well. Okay, d- that sounded sarcastic. I, I think you know no, the, no, the stakes no, no, are no, higher no. than the... I'm, I'm shaking in my boots. <laughs> okay. Um, well, what this uh, this is interesting. Um, so the the question is, how could one executive, JP, and perhaps you can tell me this, how could one executive at Amazon leaving Amazon, the one of the biggest, if not the sort of biggest, uh, company in the world, um, how could it affect? things to this extent where, um, where well, um, you know, a cooperative player, XBO, could lose $600 million. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a wild story. Um, and we've, it, it's been developing um, our managing editor of markets, uh, Mark Solomon, uh, market, market. Did, yeah, that kind of goes. Kind of the, is he the editor of markets? Just because his name is Mark. Well, it's um, easy to remember. Yeah, well, he's, he's a great writer. Uh, you know, again, he came to us from DC Velocity some time ago, but he has really deep relationships in transportation logistics and has access to, you know, top executives at many different very large corporations. Um, and it's always fascinating to see the kinds of stories that he's able to tell and sort of the backstories of these decisions. So this all started when XPO. Yeah, give uh, us an overview. Essentially, when XBO has been progressively lowering its guidance for 2019, uh, they missed earnings again uh, in fourth quarter 2018, and they said it was because, um, you know, Amazon took away $200 million of postal injection business, I believe, and then that'll they're going to lose in a further 600 million well or a further four it all but let i mean let's this so the story is there is this uh kenny wagers mm. um had his hands so he for whatever the reasons were he had he he didn't have any non-competes and uh he had his hand with he was the leader of a lot of the major um, you know, last mile segments as, you know, as, as Amazon's expanded, I don't know if all of our, you know, listeners, um, know just the extent to which Amazon is not just, you know, an e-commerce online retailer. They are, they are getting there. And that's why we're talking about them because we talk about logistics and we talk about supply chain and last mile delivery and all of that. And I mean, from Whole Foods to just, I mean, there are probably six or seven of these major segments of what Amazon is doing that this Kenny wagers um, was, was yeah. the leader yeah of. he was he was a he was a big dog at Amazon and one of Jeff Bezos most trusted executives in charge of lots of very important initiatives especially yeah as regards to transportation logistics and sort of vertically integrating Amazon in that way and for whatever reason he went over to XPO yep and uh, and has been and then and then they're starting they started to do uh, sort of XBO direct became sort of well kind of a, you know it, it resembled Amazon's fulfillment by Amazon operation right um, and so uh, you know it, it, the story could have ended there you know he, he didn't have a non compete um, oh well so be it you know you lost an executive to, but at the same time a little interesting part of the story. 
is that meanwhile, you know, back at the ranch, um, XPO uh, was a part of Amazon's fulfillment, yeah. right? And yeah. that, and that also XPO. And you you might be able to give us other details on this, but as my understanding is, so okay, so most of Amazon's like last mile delivery um, stuff going on is I don't know that must be a caller coming in right now, <laughs> but no, I, I don't know what what's happening, <clears throat> um, but I. Uh, um, XPO is they're not a last mile parcel delivery delivery uh, service, obviously, such as a USPS, which Amazon still primarily uses. But um, right. They don't deliver parcels. They deliver like big, bulky things. But they are they are specially positioned in this space and they do a huge amount of uh, of service. I guess to and for and with Amazon yep. to to the extent of being like six hundred million, um, and yeah. so and so uh, apparently last Thursday, finally, XPO did disclose that its largest customer, which went unnamed, but we all knew who that largest customer was, and that right. was was going to pull their was going to pull six hundred million dollars in traffic, um, or basically. Two thirds of Amazon's total annual spend with with XBO, yeah. and so. But this is the interesting part about it. Like, I mean, if we want to get to, into the details, it's the first segment was valued at two hundred million, um, which was what you were referring to withdrawn in in December. Well, now there's another four hundred million that's going to disappear during the first half of twenty nineteen, um, and leaving we'll, how much total? Well, six hundred. You know, oh, the remaining will be three hundred yeah. um, million of uh, of business that um, I, they're I still tied up with yeah i wouldn't oh yeah those are sort of like long-term contracts um apparently that um can't just be canceled immediately well this is the thing that's interesting to me about the story and what what um what mark was was writing is uh you know uh they said there, there could be there's there's various explanate possible explanations for the story right. uh right. one is you know and you know one is that it um you know they might have decided that it was just, you know, more cost affected, you know, um, to just XBO could have been like, well, they could just, you know, be doing their business in house or it it may have been that um, they weren't happy with XBO's performance. And then he says, or it may have they may have decided that with the hiring of wagers, Kenny wagers and the development of a competing service. Uh, tendering so much to XPO didn't make a lot of sense. Right. And that seems the most credible to me. But then someone came along with a supposedly more dramatic explanation right. saying that it was just out of spite. But out of spite or not, to me, that third explanation that it just doesn't make a lot of business sense makes the most sense to me. So I think so. You know. it, it was a an unnamed source at... Um, you know, at XPO, who told Mark Solomon that it was payback, it was retaliation for Kenny Wagers. He said that uh, mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos had requested earlier um, in 2018 that XPO, you know, when they found out that XPO had hired Kenny Wagers, they said they asked XPO to yes. not, not, you know, to discontinue his employment. Um, and XPO was like, no. Um, Right. And then eventually, reasonably enough, you yeah. Know. And so, what's interesting to me about the payback or retribution sort of uh, theory first is mm -hmm. that it comes from an XPO executive. So, 
that makes it sound like, okay, our, our loss of $600 million in business, it's really this, you know, interpersonal relationship. <laughs> it's spite. It's not yeah. out of our control. It's just a bump in the road. We'll get it back, whatever. Um, the, one of the other explanations is that Amazon actually intends to be the largest LTL carrier in the United States. Yeah. And it's not going to be XPO. It's yeah. going to be Amazon. And that this may have But if, if an XPO executive admitted that, this problem wouldn't just be a bump in the road. It would be a long term structural challenge. Mm, they would good be, point. They they would find that their largest competitor is in fact the most valuable company in the world. <laughs> you know, investors might not like that. So you know, for whatever reason, the the this was out of spite theory. You know, interpersonal. It, it might said, it yeah. might not seem that you know plausible. Maybe a business case makes more sense, but I think it's also very self serving for XPO to say that because it it makes it sound like this is like something. Yeah. It makes it makes it sound like the problem is less serious than it actually is. Yeah, I mean, it is serious. Uh, it seems like with Amazon being as large as they are, and yeah, again, I, I suppose that spite I mean, or you, otherwise, it's like it's like it's, if, mm-hmm, if yeah. you do, you really want to come out and say that you're now a direct competitor with Amazon? Does it, like who wants to say that? I mean, if you're Wal, you know, our next our next headline is you know about Walmart, which yeah. is obviously a, a Who, competitor in, you know, in retail. That, but like, if you're a transportation company, do you want to say, oh yeah, we're we're we're, we're taking on Amazon? Yeah. Like, like. <laughs> well, you know what? I love that question because it, you know, um, I suppose yes and no on some of the. Um, you know, it's like Amazon is kind of doing a careful dance of saying that, oh, we're not competing with UPS, you know, yeah, and not, FedEx, yeah, yeah. Um, even while they're like building major airport hubs and adding to like gigantic fleets of everything, you know, and, <laughs> right. and, and they're, building, they're building 40,000 trailers and buying 20,000 Sprinter vans and <laughs> buying airplanes and building airports. Right. Uh, oh, yeah, we're, we're not we're not competing with no, it, you know, everything it, is fine. Yeah. <laughs> go back, but go back to sleep. Right. They're there. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, because you know, I don't know, but it seems like you know you got to have some cooperation um, between partners as um, all of these things manifest. I don't know, but you're right. I mean, so I mean, I suppose point well taken. <clears throat> um, does XBO want to come out and say we are in the space with? I, I don't know. I don't know. Because um, at first but, it looked like you know Brad Jacobs, you know the sort of you know, sort of Greenwich, Connecticut investment banker style business philosophy that he has of, you know, taking mm-hmm. in a huge amount of capital, coming in, buying up all these companies, at tick t- you know, adding them all together, you know, you know, building these giant conglomerates, you know, in consolidating industries. That's what he does, right? So, it, you know, that's what he did with, uh, you know, waste management. That's what he did with United Rentals. Okay. Um, that's what he's going to do with XPO is build – Build the biggest, baddest LTL carrier in, you know, you know, in, in the country, right. and then boom, make its exit. And Interestingly enough, they were going to make a couple of acquisitions, or they 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 projected that uh, in 2018 didn't do it. Um, so uh, we'll see 
Well, we don't know the reasons behind why, uh, but you know, we'll see. It'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, um, well, this, what might happen in 2019? They made 17 acquisitions in about four years, which is pretty unprecedented because it's actually kind of difficult to integrate transportation and logistics companies. Um, right. They, they, all these companies had different TMS systems, different IT Whew. sort of departments, yeah. and you know, styles and programs and stuff. And so not all of that has been integrated. The investors kind of wanted them to take a pause. They weren't realizing the synergies that they thought they would initially. So then they what, what they started doing, you know, they're still throwing off a lot of money. And so they use that to buy back shares. They, they bought back about a billion dollars worth of shares, um, I think, at the end of either in December or January um, when the transports were selling off to kind of lift their stock prices up and return some cash to shareholders. And they said that in this year, um, I think they're planning on about another uh, billion and a half dollars um, in the next six months. So that'll be two and a half billion dollars worth of share buybacks. And so but essentially what that means is like, you know, all the people that hold XPO stock, XPO is going to come back, buy some of those, take them off the market sort of limiting the supply of XPO stock and therefore driving the price up. And, you know, it's a returning value to shareholders. Perhaps this will get them over uh, the, uh, I don't know what we call it, bump in the road, the the new challenge. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think at happened. this point, you know, we'll, we'll see what, what valuations do in 2019 as, um, you know, if – if as we uh, you know if the uh, freight markets don't pick up in March like we expect if they don't pick up very strongly it's part of if it. Uh, invest if people keep looking at um, the transportation sector as you know, something that's might be really sensitive to you know a kind of a wobbly economy mm-hmm. um, maybe valuations will fall enough where XPO can make some more acquisitions at a reasonable multiple but right now it seems like you know investors think that share buybacks are, are a good use of capital well spoken like a true analyst very nice um well hey uh speaking of uh competitors to amazon well one behemoth that thinks that they are going to get into the game and well they're playing it pretty uh pretty uh you know like better than i thought is walmart i bet yeah. you've heard of them before <laughs> yeah um yeah, the brick and mortar uh, you know, retailer that basically took over the world for a period of time. Yes. Um, you know, uh, well, they're, they've been playing the e-retailer e, e game. And, uh, well, you know, sales have been growing by 43% in the fourth quarter, 40% overall for 2018 in the e-commerce space. That's Yeah, fourth, yeah Walmart has been between you know, what, 30 and 40%. Um, uh, I think even even last year as well. Well, that's what they expect for 2019, to be 30 to 40% yeah. growth. Uh, it was even more than that. It was, you know, um, or, well, it was 40% over 2018. 40%, and 40%, 40% is solid. I want to say oh, that... Oh, it's really good. I want to say that um, in... 2017, they were their run rate was around 33 percent growth over over okay. over uh, 16. So you know, yeah. So I it, another boost came from their grocery. Their grocery is you know like expanded a little bit. They're getting a little bit more um, you know purchases uh, within the stores during that time. I suppose I felt like 
as we covered 2018 with Walmart, that it was sort of one like slightly failed venture after another with the com- competition. I mean, but you know, like with like, well, they tried to partner with Shipped, mm. and they tried to help. You know, you like you could like you know sort of like plug in you know, the things you wanted and go and like do the pickup, you know, just like pick it up and you don't have to enter the, the just awfulness of the plastic, <laughs> you know, consumer non-friendliness yeah, of, yeah. Uh, or whatever right. experience that you have at Walmart. And yet, and, and we tried it anecdotally speaking, you know, my wife and I, we, we, we like, we would order and then they would get the order wrong or they would oh. forget it or, you know, we wouldn't get everything, you know, like it, and it was just like, I was like, this is a failure. Shipped was a failure. Like, are they just like, could they, could they do it? Well, apparently they're, they're doing it, you know, and, and apparently they could do it better. And, and yet they're doing it. They are the now, uh, I don't know if you know this JP, the third largest online retailer in the country after Amazon and, and eBay. Oh, of course. Yes. Oh. Yeah, after Amazon awesome. and eBay, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, that's that's really good, and I, isn't I think it? The uh, the grocery numbers I think were really resonant to me because honestly, you know, mm-hmm. I, I go to the Walmart by Signal Mountain um, fairly regularly, but I only go to the grocery section actually. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, and it, for certain and it feels, goods, it works and it, out. And it's all on one side of the store, and it feels like you're just in a grocery store. <laughs> yes, you know and I mean? apparently they're expanding those operations. I wouldn't trust the meat necessarily. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a vegetarian. So. Oh, that's true. That works out for you. But yeah. man, the grains and you know some of the canned goods just about can't be beat unless you deal with Aldi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another low volume brick and mortar um, or lo- high volume low margin. Low low margin. Yeah. My my yeah. mom goes to Aldi. It's, it seems like a kind of an old lady place I don't know. it's it's a pain a like man. i've done it one time you have to put a quarter in the in the you have, you have to put a quarter in your shopping basket in order to rent it i guess it's weird and then the, you know they don't provide you with bags so you, you end up i didn't know that you know i go to the register and they're like you know scanning all my goods i'm all excited about the cheap prices and everything and there's nowhere to put no all of this stuff, your stuff. <laughs> Right. So I had to kind of do so that did you have to like carry? Do you have to like carry like the stuff into your house like one thing at a time? <laughs> I had to purchase, I will say, some oh. very inexpensive bags. They were like a dime, the bags. The car- but I had to purchase it. So, I mean, whatever. They- I, I, I've read that to for a reusable bag to be as – to use this like yeah. essentially to be carbon neutral versus – plastic bags you know what i'm saying for for like i don't know what you're saying yet okay so like the idea is that you using a reusable bag like a like a cotton tote is more environmentally friendly than using a bunch of plastic bags yes okay for that to be the case in terms of carbon emissions okay (laughs) you you have to use that cotton tote like 1500 times what yeah that's outrageous. Because, because, Surely not. No, it's because cotton farming is extraordinarily, like, you know, sort of consumptive of resources. Okay. Well, um, 1,500, so, you know. Yes, yeah, so it's like, you know, you know, every week for... The next 20 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awful. Wow. But we digress, I suppose, to some extent. Um, all right. Well, um, what a delightful um, sort of, uh, you know, section of headlines 
this week. Uh, well, it is time for uh, everyone's favorite Ooh, game of the week. Uh, big deal, little deal. What is the deal with you, JP? Well, it may be that you don't have a beer. Um, and let's see. So I am going to start with you. Are you ready? Um, yes. Well, ready or not, here we come. Trucks ready to fight Connecticut's new tolling plan. Big deal or little deal? It's a big deal. Um, it's It sucks that infrastructure improvements come on the back of truckers, but now that they're looking to toll autos, hopefully they'll have allies in the fight. Shattering blow. Honda to announce Swindon plant closure. Big deal or little deal? Um, it's a big deal, but not for the reason that um, the Labor Party says. It's not because of Brexit. It's because Honda is consolidating all of its European market cars to Japanese production facilities. Interesting. Railroads look to PTC to shake out more capacity. Big deal or little deal? I think it's a little deal. Uh, they think that there'll be a higher average velocity, therefore they can carry more freight. But the way that precision scheduled railroading is going, they're just going to take assets off the rails. Roadrunners writes offering leaves Elliott Management owning 90% of the company. Big deal or little deal? It's a big deal. I suggest you Google Elliott Management. They're the mo largest and most notorious activist uh, fund uh, led by Paul Singer in the world. Mm. Um, just check it out. It's, it's quite an interesting story. China may be the first in large-scale autonomous vehicle adoption. Big deal or little deal? Little deal. I mean, global management consulting firm uh, McKinsey & Company released a report suggesting that China would be among the front runners in adopting autonomous vehicles, trumping even the West. But there's too many factors that play a role in deciding the roadmap to adoption. End of Airbus 380 production draws jeers, not tears, from air cargo community. Big deal or little deal? It's a big airplane, but a little deal. The Airbus will halt production while attractive, you know, from a passenger standpoint, the A380 just had an air, a, a reputation uh, as being just tough for cargo. U.S. Express launches driver development program. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. U.S. Express, largest carrier to begin implementing a competency-aligned simulator program that includes integration of just some industry-first stuff with all kinds of stuff helping drivers. Container ports singled out in federal spending bill. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. While 40% less than the $1.5 billion in build funds allocated for 2018, it's still significantly higher than what appropriators have typically given to the program. What a disaster. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the federal <laughs> spinning bill. I'm talking about our performance. Yeah. You know, I Two think, minutes and 14 seconds, you know, Chad. I, I, sometimes you accept it. This time, I'm going to accept it. You know, I think you ended at a what, minute. What was our split, Layla? I, I, Where did I, I, I you know, it was It was on me. She's pointing, she, the you know, production manager, Layla Rapp, pointing the finger at me. I okay. accept it. I accept it. Yeah, I feel uh, like I could have given you a little bit more... Yeah, as the first as the the first runner Leeway. in the relay race. Like, <laughs> no, you I were just... right on time, man. Perfect, good stuff, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we hope that we are continuing to give you the things that you need for your weekly market playbook, as well as um, you know, just to us, fascinating headlines with the best analysis we can provide. Thanks again to Redwood Logistics, JP. Great to have you back in the saddle. Yeah, and I'm um, look, looking forward to next week uh, when we can get back in our two minutes. <laughs> Indeed. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. 
Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck? Truck.